Support for Milledgeville Matters comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald. On May 24th, in the weeks leading up to it, Republican and Democratic Party voters will go to the polls to select their nominees for the entire slate of state government offices. Tonight, we'll hear from the candidates seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. I talked with candidates Daniela Sullivan Marzal, Leland Jake Olinger, Rick Jeffries, and Rick Williams and asked them the same slate of questions. Tonight, We'll hear portions of those conversations edited to hear the candidates' responses to each question, one after the other. The conversations were edited to meet the time constraints of tonight's program, but we'll post recordings of tonight's program in the unedited conversations on our website, social media, and SoundCloud page. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's begin our program with a short introduction and first question to each of the candidates. And we'll begin with an introduction and initial question to Leland Jake Olinger. Leland Jake Olinger is a candidate seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. He is a retiree who lives in Locust Grove. Leland Jake Olinger, thank you for joining me on WRGC 88.3 FM. Thank you for having me on here. This is awesome. Thanks. It was my pleasure to host. So I'll start off with the first question. Uh, Why are you asking voters to elect you to represent them in the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate? Well, uh, because I'm one of them, I'm uh, there. What happens at the Capitol, just like them, it affects me every day. The money that it costs me at the grocery store, the gas station, even my utilities. You know, those, you know, and so I know how it affects the people, not just the people that are elected, but the people out there. And now let's hear an introduction from Rick Williams. Rick Williams is a middle Georgia native who grew up in Gordon and graduated from Baldwin High School. He is the co-owner funeral director and certified crematory operator at Williams Funeral Home. Williams has represented the 145th Georgia House District since 2017. State Representative Rick Williams, thank you for joining me on WRGC 88.3 FM. Thank you, Daniel. Always good to be with you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, We'll start off with, uh, I think, the basic question, uh, of course, and that is, uh, why are you asking voters to elect you to represent the 25th district in the Georgia State Senate. Thank you. Uh, the reason I am asking the voters to elect me is because I have the time, I have the dedication, and I have the determination to represent them in Atlanta. You know, as I have learned from being a state representative for three terms now, A lot of it is constituent services. It's taking care of the people who have issues and problems with state agencies. And this is something that I enjoy helping people and solving problems. And uh, I've just uh, had a number of issues that I've helped tackle with people here in middle Georgia. 
and uh, in this district and even some in the other districts have reached out to me. And, um, you know, we, we all go through life and we all face certain issues. And time to time, there's a uh, problem with some state agency, whether it be licensing or uh, some other state agency, unemployment or things like that. And um, people reach out to me and I get the right person to get them in touch with to solve their issue and help them with their problem and uh, just have a uh, just have a desire in my heart to help people and uh, I enjoy doing that. And now we'll introduce and pose the same question to Daniela Sullivan Marzal. Daniela Sullivan Marzal is a chaplain and licensed professional counselor. She lives in Locust Grove. She is a candidate seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. Daniela Sullivan Marzal, thank you for joining me at WRGC 88.3 FM. Well, so much has happened, and I really appreciate you inviting me in today. Well, it is my pleasure to host. Well, uh, we'll start off with the first question, uh, sometimes the hardest. Uh, why are you asking voters to elect you to represent the 25th District in the Georgia State Senate? Well, as I am a chaplain, the Lord has been speaking to me about sounding the alarm. And as I was saying a while ago, much has happened in politics, and it seems like we need to bring God back into the picture. And so here I am, um, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, with God leading, and people not just saying that they're following God, but actually doing it. You've brought a Shafar in um, to the studio with you, yes. uh, and I wanted to give you that opportunity now, if, if you'd like to uh, you, uh, use that to uh, convene with our radio audience. Yes, I would. Um, a lot of people um, are talking about Jesus coming back, and uh, it will be a trumpet sound when he does, but... In the Hebraic way, the shofar is used to call people to war, and I think we are doing war right now, and I think it's war with darkness, and we need to have God show up because he is the light. And so I would like to sound the alarm for war and call forth the blessing of God upon our nation and also calling the angels to attention. And so um, I will blow the shofar to release a blessing to our hearers and to our nation. Um, and that's me sounding the alarm. And I just want to bring some of our radio audience uh, into the conversation now. Um, and could you describe the shofar and, and tell us just a little bit about it? Well, a shofar is a religious instrument. And for those of you who have heard about Jericho as a uh, they marched around the walls of Jericho for it to come down. It was the trumpet, the shofar, the sound um, calling out to God. And so we have many, many walls that need to be torn down. And so in calling out to God, asking him to break down strongholds and bring breakthrough and victory. And so it is a, an instrument that is specific to God. And so they say in Scripture that the demons tremble. And at this point, we want them to tremble because God needs to show up and show out. And now we'll introduce and pose the same question to Rick Jeffries. 
Rick Jeffries is a candidate seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. Jeffries represented portions of Henry, Newton, and Rockdale counties in the Georgia State Senate between the years 2011 and 2017. Jeffries is the owner of J&T Environmental Services and lives in Jackson. Rick Jeffries, thank you for joining me today on WRGC 88.3 FM. Glad to be here. Why are you asking voters to elect you to represent the 25th district in the Georgia State Senate? Well, I guess during my lifetime, my father died when I was young, and so I've always worked and I've always tried to give back to the people, big churchgoer. My company volunteers anytime there's a um, natural disaster, we, we, we go and help put in water units for safe drinking water, and I'm just always looking after people. That's the way I've always lived. Now, without going into detail about any potential legislation you'd like to file, can you identify the three issues you'd like to focus most on uh, during this tenure in the Georgia State Senate? And please identify why each is an issue is a priority of yours. Well, my biggest thing is being a small business owner. Um, it is hard to find people right now. I, I think we're graduating kids that aren't ready to go to work. And, you know, only about 40 percent of kids go to college. And so... Why are we teaching the same old, same old when it comes to education? We need to be teaching kids trades. Technical college, to me, is the biggest thing out there for kids to do. And we just got to get them more prepared than we are from K through 12. And to me, that's just the biggest issue we got. The second issue is inflation right now. I mean, things are, man, I just filled up my truck yesterday. It was $197 to fill my truck up with diesel fuel. We've got to stop things like that. And the um, third thing is, um, you know, just the cost of living. The cost of living is going up every day. And we got to figure out ways to get people back on their feet and not suffering anymore. And, our, you know, our income tax, our state income tax, there's a way to bring that down. I mean, there is no doubt the state's doing good right now. And so anytime we can cut state income tax, that's just a great thing to do. When I was in the Senate before, we cut it twice, and I think we can cut it a couple more times. And those are the biggest issues I'm dealing with today. And I'd like to ask a follow-up to that, if I might. Yes, yes. Um, Of course, uh, one of the pieces of legislation that passed uh, the General Assembly this year and uh, just recently got uh, the governor's signature was a reduction in the income tax, uh, putting it at, uh, I believe, a flat 4.9%. If uh, wanting to see it go lower, what do you believe would be a, um, a good rate for it to be at? And um, how do you think that you would try to uh, maneuver any other parts uh, of the budget or the services provided uh, to be able to reach that stated goal of a lower income tax? Well, one of the things we worked on when I was in the Senate before was to lower that. And one thing I have a problem with is all the tax credits. I mean, who who deserves a tax credit? I mean, it's not the big industries. The big industries are doing good. So I think we need to look at all the tax credits we're given, like the movie credits. I mean, I don't think the movies are going anywhere if we take that credit away from them. The cost of living is lower here in Georgia than it is in California. And so I think we need to take a look at all the tax credits we give around the state and figure out which ones are really good and which ones aren't. 
And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Williams. Can you identify three issues you'd like to focus most on during your tenure in the Georgia State Senate? And why is each of these issues a priority of yours? The main issue is safety and security for our people here in Georgia. We have seen issues attacking people here in our district, whether it be from crime or other people taking advantage of people here in middle Georgia. And that's the main thing is supporting our law enforcement. And as they tackle the increasing amount of crime and violence here in middle Georgia, uh, we've seen it all. And every time we turn on the TV, we hear of someone being shot, people being killed, people being murdered, uh, people breaking into people's homes and the home invasions. And um, so, you know, that's the main thing is security. Next thing is jobs, job security also. You know, um, back six years ago when I ran uh, the first time, the issue was jobs. We need to create jobs here in middle Georgia. But what we have right now is record low unemployment of 2.9%. And as you ride through Milledgeville, Edenton, Monticello, Jackson, any of these areas that is covered in this 25th Senate district, you see signs everywhere. We're hiring. We're hiring. Apply today. Start work today. So, you know, we've, we've got the jobs out there now. We've just got to find people to fill the jobs. Affordable housing. This is something that you know, we look at what people are making an hour now, and a lot of people are being paid $15 an hour at different jobs. And But they're still having a hard time finding affordable housing. So this is something else that we've got to work on. Uh, so, you know, these are areas and issues, and they're obstacles that are in people's way. And we've got to work on these things. Health care is another thing that we've got to continue to work on, is supporting the hospitals in our area uh, to help them survive and to attract doctors and to get more nurses trained because of the shortage of doctors and nurses uh, to make sure we have adequate health care. And now we'll pose the same question to Daniela Sullivan Marzal. Can you identify three issues you'd like to focus most on during your tenure in the Georgia State Senate? And tell us why each issue is a priority of yours. Well, I think one of the first things that I'm interested in is writing legislation that will make the legislators vote and actually deal with issues instead of blocking them or abstaining. I would like to see... Um, legislators, you know, give account for what they're for and what they're against. And so I think we really need to deal with legislation about legislation. And so that's one of the, the first issues that I really want to address because we need to vote, we need to move things, and it needs to not take a decade to make a change in an issue. 
And so that will be my first thing. <laughs> so we get our legislators to do what they need to do and not hide. So um, the second thing that I would like to deal with is um, we're having a, a right to work state. There's this issue where a lot of people in our state are actually being abused a lot of times at work. They're not getting the wages they should. We're having illegal immigrants come in and work. And I think that if somebody comes in and you need them to work, then you need to give them a visa. And if not, then I think the companies need to be fined for having illegal workers. So I think what we need to do is we need to deal with fair work environment, fair wages, and we need to support our people in the state, in the economy. And if they're coming in, well, if they're going to be guest workers, then do like Germany. You know, start a guest worker program where people come from other countries and work because you don't have the people here to work. But we need to make some changes in that area because I think that the whole system is broken and people are frustrated um, on both sides. And we are a country that is founded on freedoms. People come to us because we're supposed to be the light on the hill. Well, if the light on the hill is doing dark deeds, it needs to be exposed. So that would be one of the second things that I would want to deal with. Um, the third thing that I think is really important is that we need to deal with sex trafficking. That really troubles me as a minister and as a licensed professional counselor. And there is a lot going on in our communities where people aren't aware that, um, you know, when you open the door to immorality and pornography, it's going to create sexual addictions. It's going to create addictions. And then hence you have sex trafficking being fueled in a culture where morality is, is not being valued. And so we need to go back to how can we legislate protection for people and how can we legislate protection against pornography exposure. We need to deal even with companies that are supporting pornography and that industry and making a lot of money and promoting it. So those would be the three probably that I would address. And now we'll pose the same question to Leland Jake Olinger. Can you identify the three issues you'd like to focus most on during your tenure in the Georgia State Senate? And tell us why each, is an, uh, each issue is a priority of yours. Well, uh, for one, marijuana legalization. Over half the Georgians, uh, half of Georgia already wants it legal, whether they smoke it or not. And that's also Republicans. Yeah, uh, in 2020, on the uh, primary ballot for the Republicans, we had a sample question on there. You know, should legalization be put on the ballot? And it was pretty much, you know, number-wise, you'd say 50-50, but it was actually a little over half the Republicans said yes to legalization on the ballot. So, yes, that for one is a number one. But... It also leads into fixing other problems that we have uh, with mental health. A lot of people use marijuana for uh, PTSD, for pain, and they do it without going to a doctor. You know, they we have to do this, you know, on the black market. You know, and I want to make it safer for everybody. Whether you know, people say, oh, recreational use. Well, recreational is still medicinal use because of how our bodies react to it. You know, so there's another fix right there. And, you know, with the mental health and uh, the medical side of it. 
Then you have the economic side, how much it would save us taxpayers because what people don't realize, yeah, when people get busted with marijuana, they have to go through and pay all kinds of fines and fees and everything for years. They don't put them in jail anymore for weed. It's, they, they get extorted for the money, to be quite honest with you. I know this process. And, you know, so there's the economic fix with the legalization. Uh, and then the social impact it would have. You know, the different communities that are affected differently by our marijuana laws, you know, it won't be able to be used against them. You know, I don't like to bring race into it because it actually affects everybody. It doesn't matter what color you are, but I do know that it is used against, you know, certain people, even age groups, more so than others. Uh, see, that that was two things related, and the third one, uh, oh, wait, and the social, well, there's so many things that I want to get up there, and I know that legalization would be an immediate fix for it. You know, uh, like I was going back with the, you know, the judicial system, all the court cases, you know, it gets clogged up. You know, it is an average, it looks like, you know, because I'm close and personal to situations like this, it takes about two years after a uh, marijuana arrest for it to finally reach indictment. You know, and in that time, the person, you know, is out living life like normal and there's nothing, you know, there's no change in their life. So we need to quit punishing people for that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff with legalization that would change so much in our society. And I want to comment that I think that it's it's an act of bravery for you to focus on this central topic uh, to your campaign. And I want to ask you, um, why are you willing to put yourself out there at what I would assume would be a, a some personal risk uh, to champion this issue in your campaign for elected office? It's simple, because people are sick of not having a voice. There, you know, even with uh, HB 324, you know, there were people up there advocating for full legalization, and we're just shoved to the side because of the stigma from movies and what people were taught with the D.A.R.E. program. We're told we're liars about what, you know, how we act. You know, I work and drive every day. Uh, I, you know... Yeah, I'm on this book, but I'm also allowed to own a business, and that's what I do. And, you know, I'm out here to bust every stigma and to let those people who know have a voice, at least, you know, to start in the primary, because then they can be allowed to say, yeah, I do want, you know, legalization, I do support legalization, because so many people hide it because of getting you know, afraid that their neighbor's going to snitch on them when probably more likely they may already know their neighbor does it with them, you know. But th that's the thing. It's Someone's got to get out there. There's always got to be that one person to get out there and make a voice be heard. In any social situation that we have, it always took that one person to get out there and make that voice heard. 
What is the biggest challenge to providing our children with the education they'll need to lead fulfilling lives and be competitive in the 21st century economy? Well, the biggest challenge is getting schools and parents to let kids be themselves, figure out who they are, what they want to build. I'm a product of a, a vocational school. Uh, I graduated, uh, I took two years of television production, and I graduated with honors uh, from the class. But it was something I had a passion for and I like to do, and that's what helped me in my education, you know, and, and to move forward in life. They, I didn't really stick to one job, but with the television production, I learned that I needed to do different things to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And that's what it has led to, led me to this. I had a friend, you know, and I talked to, she was great and she's very instrumental in helping me, uh, run my campaign, you know, start my campaign, run for office, you know. So it's really getting schools and parents to encourage their kids that they like to draw, draw, you know, whatever they like to do, uh, get them, let them do that. Let them figure out how they can make a life at it. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Williams. What is the biggest challenge to providing our children with the education they'll need to lead fulfilling lives and to be competitive in the 21st century economy? Well, I think you're going to see some legislation coming forth similar to what was passed in Florida that's going to be requiring some of the teachers to focus on teaching these young adults or these students in schools how to balance a checkbook, how to handle personal finance, what it actually means to get a job and to apply for loans and mortgages, you know, is kind of gotten away from life skills. And so some of these students that have graduated from school uh, all they've ever used is plastic and someone else paid the bill. They don't have a clue on how to balance a checkbook or where to make a deposit or even how to deal with the bank as far as securing loans. So, you know, we, we've got to continue forward in different ways of educating our students. You know, we fully funded uh, K through 12 again uh, so we're, we're going to continue working on the educating our young people and, and getting them ready for life's experiences. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Jeffries. What is the biggest challenge to providing our children with the education they'll need to lead fulfilling lives and be competitive in the 21st century economy? It goes back to what I said. I raised four daughters, and I, me and my wife knew in the ninth grade whether they were going to college or not. And if you know your kid, little Johnny's not going to college, then little Johnny needs to get educated those last four years of high school. And high schools and the way we do K through 12 need to change. They need to be doing. When I was in when I was in high school, I um I took electromechanics and I took woodworking. 
lot of a lot of high schools now don't even do vocational. I think they need to be more technical oriented, and we need to just teach them everyday life. I mean, we got to teach them a trade. We got to teach them to do something. And now we'll pose the same question to Daniela Sullivan Marzal. What is the biggest challenge to providing our children the education they'll need to lead fulfilling lives and be competitive in the 21st century economy? Well, I think it starts with feeling safe in their school environment because parents are working. um, And even if you do stay home, you know, when your children are at school, they're going to be affected by the environment. So bullying is a really big issue in schools, and we're not really addressing it. Whether people are disabled, whether people have different um, issues, um, even the controversial issues, whether it's, you know, being transgender, being bisexual, whatever the issue is, people are being bullied in school, and it's not being dealt with. So kids don't feel safe in school. If you don't feel safe in your school environment and you then become suicidal, then we have a problem in our school systems that isn't being addressed and we're cutting budgets for counselors and we're not even addressing the issues at hand because people don't want to talk about these things. And so I think we need to make our schools safe. That is a big issue. And we need to fund the programs that help the schools be safe and help the children feel safe. And then if they get their education, including having choice of education, whether it's going into college or whether it's going eventually into a trade school. We need to provide programs that work for the students so that they feel like they have a future. Right now, a lot of children are scared. COVID, the different things that have happened, you know, we've got war in the Ukraine. They're hearing all these things in the news and they're being exposed to things they can't even process. So if we don't deal with making the schools safe and giving the schools more support, to provide those things for the students, we're going to continue to have a problem. We're going to continue to have bullying going on. And then as a result, the parents are going to feel frustrated because they don't know what to do. Why is my child in this state? They just sent them to school. You know, that's an education that in our country we're blessed to have because in other countries it's only the rich, basically, that get to have an education. So if we're going to provide a different environment. I think it's going to start with the schools, and we need to support our school systems, our teachers, our counselors, and really address the issues and not just dump it on the teachers that they've got to fix it. On this edition of Millageville Matters, you're listening to interviews with candidates seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. Next week, we'll hear a conversation with Valerie Rogers, the lone Democrat running for the 25th state senatorial district. Advanced voting for the 2022 general primary election began on Monday, May 2nd, and continues through Friday, May 20th at the Baldwin County Government Building, which is located at 1601 North Columbia Street. Saturday voting will occur on May 7th and May 14th. And for more information about advanced and election day voting, you can contact the Baldwin County Board of Registrars at 478-445-4526. That number again, 478-445-4526. And you can check your voter registration and see sample ballots at the Georgia Secretary of State's My Voter page, www.mvp.sos.ga.gov. And we'll be back in a moment with more of our conversations about the Republican primary for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate.
Now back to our conversations with the candidates seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. What are your ideas for improving specifically rural Georgians' access to effective health care? Well, I think one of the things that we need to do is be more creative with our university systems. We have wonderful school systems that provide great education and nursing. And even, you know, medically, we have some really great schools in Georgia. Why is it that we can't do more internships and more creative um, programming for, for healthcare, you know, where we send these brilliant people into the rural areas, not only to, to, to create better programming and to be zealous like they are when they're young and they're learning new things, but, but to actually develop concrete pilot programs, you know, as part of their education. Why don't we use our education system and provide internships and things in the rural area and therefore give them more health care? And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Jeffries. What are your ideas for improving, now specifically rural Georgians, their access to effective health care? That's a tough one. Um, like I said, I got a small business and my employees, you know, because we're a small business, we got under 25 people, health care is out the roof. And so, you know, I think that's more of a federal level than a state level. But absolutely, something's got to be done. I mean, some of my guys don't have insurance because they can't even afford I, I pay half, and they can't afford their half. I mean, it's kind of sad, to be honest with you. You know, they get these, they get a policy where they got a high deductible, and I say, well, I'll pay you the deductible because that's the best I can do. And do you have any ideas or proposals that you'd like to put forward to try to, um, I guess, you know, uh, uh, cover that gap or anything that uh, in your experience um, that you've seen that may be a hint where Georgia could go? Like I said, I think this is more of a federal issue. It starts with the federal government, you know, get in touch with your congressmen and your senators and tell them to come up with a better solution because it, what's wor- what we have right now is not working. And now we'll pose the same question. To Rick Williams, what are your ideas for improving specifically rural Georgians' access to effective health care? Well, we've met with the dean of medical school over at Mercer in Macon, Dr. Sumner, and through the my position on the Georgia Rural Development Commission and listen to her presentation on attracting more people to medical school who were unable to financially afford it in the past. And through scholarships and through work payback programs so that they could actually go through medical school and then in exchange, they work in rural Georgia for a number of years uh, to pay back that uh, scholarship fund. So, you know, there's more innovative ways that we're looking at doing things. And also, in you know, as far as nursing programs, expanding nursing programs at our local colleges, um, because the nursing programs are very important. 
lot of times nurses are the first ones on the scene to handle illness and injuries before the doctor arrives and to have more nurses out there and whether they wind up being physician's assistants or or whatever their level of education, that they can help the doctors bring a better level of health care to our people. And now we'll pose the same question to Leland Jake Olinger. What are your ideas for improving specifically rural Georgians' access to effective health care? Well, a, a good thing, you know, again, leading with legalization, the health care, we get trained because I, I'm big into mental health. I do, you know, suffer from PTSD uh, and other things, you know, and I want people to know that with my campaign, that they're not alone in this. I have, you know, worked past it, you know what I have to do, and I want to, you know, use that to help people. But with the healthcare honestly you you know when people are taking care of themselves or are able to take care of themselves they can you know the healthcare costs will go down myself personally i have medical record in 2018 i was diagnosed with copd december 2018 uh or January 2000 or February 2019, I got my first real dab cart from um, uh, California. I was on five different inhalers and you know all the breathing treatments for COPD. By then, February, I stopped all of them. I haven't touched them since then. And when I go see a doctor for the first time, you know, and they listen to your lungs. They don't believe me that I have COPD. They have to go look in my medical records and see that I have a COPD diagnosis. But yet they can't tell because when they listen to my lungs, you know. So that that's what I'm. You know, a lot of the healthcare problems that we have, the opioid problems, can be solved with the use of marijuana, whether it's smoking it or ingesting it, you know, in edibles or whatever it would save a lot on the taxpayers uh, nationally because we're not, you know, supplying the pharmaceuticals with their money. You know, people will be able to fund their local grower kind of thing. And it's, there's a lot of things, health benefits with using marijuana that would eliminate a lot of the things that we are looked for, you know, in society, you know, with the social help for the medical needs of people. The announcement of a new manufacturing facility to produce Rivian electric vehicles has exposed the tension between economic development and residents' desire to protect their community's sense of place. Now, I understand that this is not an issue right here in the 25th District, but I think it's one illustrative of this balancing act that needs to take place between uh, the economy and the sense of pride of where we live. Um, how will you balance the interests of constituents living in the 25th Senatorial District and the business interests that would like to move to indoor expand their enterprise within the 25th District? Well, I'm 
all for manufacturing. I'm not for warehouses. All right. Um, I don't think you, know, you have to have a good balance. You don't want too much manufacturing. You don't want too much uh, warehouses because then you have, you know, you have more, you're creating more room for more people to have to come to our area. And, you know, that's also where you get an uptick in crime when you start adding too much uh you know, manufacturing or businesses like that, you don't want to end up like Atlanta. You don't want to end up like what's happening here in Henry County. I see daily everybody, you know, talk about all these subdivisions and these warehouses and these subdivisions. It's not people owning these homes. And I'm seeing this firsthand with my deliveries that it is just rental properties and that don't help anybody if you build up too quick you you know you have to have the housing market to handle it and then that opens it up to rental properties and people can't you know if they're paying rent they won't be able to afford to buy a house so it's a good balance of manufacturing and actually even with the manufacturing keeping as many of the raw goods needed to complete the manufactured product, keeping it close by because that only builds the economic, you know, the economics for the community, but also the people. Making the people prosper will make your community prosper in the end. But you have to balance it to where you don't have too much of one and not enough of the other. And. And just to follow up, I mean, how will you work with uh, the business uh, interests on one side and then um, the residents who call uh, these communities homes uh, to make sure that uh, you are working in the right direction um, uh, for the things that will be best for these communities um, in your part of Georgia uh, and really for Georgia altogether? I'm all about the people making money. And if it does not make sense, for me or the people, if I can't benefit from it, or the, you know, that means people can't benefit from it. And when I say benefit, I'm not saying just money, but I'm talking, you know, the social impact it would have on the community, all of that stuff. You, you know, you have to think about that. You know, think about everything. There's a lot of critical thinking in with that process because you want to, you know, make sure that your people are taken care of, but. You know, you want to make sure it's them and not, you know, people from Atlanta coming down and, you know, I, you know, spreading the ideological things that some people would not like in the rural area. And now we'll pose the same question to Daniela Sullivan Marzal. The announcement of a new manufacturing facility to produce Rivian electric vehicles has exposed a tension between economic development and residents' desires to protect their community's sense of place. How will you balance the interests of the constituents living in the 25th Senatorial District in the business interests that would like to move to and or expand their enterprise within the 25th District? 
Well, I think one of the issues like we're having in, in my area is we have a lot of logistics right now. We have a lot of trucking that has come into Henry County. And one of the problems that we're having is transportation is starting to get blocked. We're, we're being notorious now that you can't come up I-75 without waiting, you know, several hours. And so I think that sometimes, you know, um, other government officials make decisions without quite getting the right counsel um, and understanding that we have to have the right infrastructure when you bring a business in is an issue. And so I think that there needs to be more collaboration with engineers, with community members, and those that decide. So I think from a legislative perspective, you know, when it comes to business, we need to talk with business people. When it comes to transportation, we need to talk with transportation people. When it comes to the community, we need to talk to the community, and everybody needs to collaborate. That's been the big buzzword, even in counseling, you know, bringing the community together and, you know, using the best resources to come up with the best solution. If we don't talk to anybody and people are just making decisions, then you have an overgrowth that can destroy a community and cause more problems. So I think there needs to be input where the community really feels like they're being heard. I mean, that's the whole point of government. It's government by the people for the people. But if the government makes all the decisions without including the people, you know, then there's going to be anger. And and why would a business want to even come in a community where they're not accepted? You know, they can take it somewhere else where, where it is. So I think everybody needs to be involved. And I don't think that's happening. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Williams. The announcement of a new manufacturing facility to produce Rivian electric vehicles has exposed a tension between economic development and residents' desire to protect their community's sense of place. How will you balance the interests of constituents living in the 25th Senatorial District in the business interests that would like to move to and or expand their enterprise uh, within our community? You know, the Rivian deal is very interesting. I understand that a lot of behind-the-scenes meetings took place to attract Rivian to middle Georgia. Uh, You know, their their talk of um, expanding to approximately 7,000, 7,500 well-paying jobs, you know, I don't know where they're going to get the people, first of all, to fill these jobs. You know, with our unemployment rate here in Georgia, 2.9%, and other people, uh, businesses, unable to attract people to come to work, you know, I think that's going to be a challenge. And I realize that by the time they go through the process and get this plant built, that it's going to be a couple of years, several years down the road. Uh, I realize that... um, the move and the push is for electric automobiles, but I just don't see that taking place for a number of years down the road. My Just my personal experience of uh, having to, to deal with those uh, automobiles. And there's so many other issues, such as charging stations, where they're going to be. Who's going to be charging for electricity to charge those vehicles? So... You know, it's not going to be the gas stations 
beside the road in the convenience stores. Already convenience stores are trying to figure out a way. How do we sell electricity to the people who are driving these electric automobiles? So, you know, there's so many other factors involved in this. But there again, I'm going to make sure that we hold EPD's feet to the fire to make sure that the environmental impact, whether it be aquifers or runoff or whatever, from building of these plants, that they do not harm our environment and make sure that we have clean water and our environment is not contaminated from these things. And I just want to follow up on that a little uh, bit um, or to go back to a point you made uh, earlier on in your response to that, um, that idea, either perception or reality, uh, most likely a little bit of both, uh, that behind the scenes meetings were taking place in the constituency uh, of the area surrounding the proposed Rivian facility. Uh, those constituents were not aware of those negotiations going on and were their interests were not uh, uh, added into the equation uh, when bringing that uh, facility uh, uh, to that community. Uh, how will you work to make sure that um, uh, there should our community uh, get the opportunity uh, for this kind of grand-scale economic development, or even a smaller one, uh, that um, uh, constituents' voices are uh, in the mix when these negotiations are, are playing out? Well, I think, first of all, that a lot of the development authorities need to have more input from local people, from the local constituency as to their involvement and how they're going to be affected by development, such as these uh, type of plants and this type of industry. I realize, of course, that a lot of times that you have competing areas uh, competing to get an industry to their area. So because of it being seeking you know, some secrecy involved because it's much like sealed bids. What will you do to bring this to your location? Uh, I understand it. Everything can't always be on the front page of the newspaper or on, on the local radio. But there's some behind the scenes uh, negotiations done to attract industry or businesses to an area. Uh, you know, whether it be a shopping mall, whether it be a factory of some manufacturing, um, each community pretty much has a development authority, and they're all competing with each other to attract industry and jobs to their area. So, you know, it's a fine line, there's a fine balance there as to what the public can know and how they can know before the ink is dried on contracts. You know, I was attending Putnam County's uh, meeting just the other night, and uh, people were concerned about zoning issues around Lake Oconee and the zoning uh, being changed to allow different businesses 
And I heard one of the county commissioners talk about how businesses have popped up and grown on Highway 44. And because of sales tax revenue, that they're writing Putnam County a check and giving them sales tax revenue every month, every quarter. But there's it's not really costing Putnam County anything uh, for those businesses to come there and thrive. So, you know, you've got different kinds of impact and different kinds of businesses, and this is what we've got to grow smarter. Uh, I have continued to work on traffic signal in Baldwin County at the Milledgeville Mall, uh, and I've spoken with DOT uh, just every so often about this issue. We now have the plans. They have been drawn. That is on Georgia DOT's radar. That is something that is going to be coming uh, hopefully in the nearer future rather than in the distant future because of the safety issue that we have there. So, you know, it just takes time. And whenever you're putting a traffic signal on a federal highway, then you have more laws and more hoops to jump through. So, you know, there are so many issues and so many things that we're dealing with. Just this past session, there were over 4,000 bills introduced in the state house. You know, time to time, someone will walk up to me and ask me, Representative Williams, what did you think about House Bill 1032? And I'll have to ask them, what was 1032? You know, I can remember the issue better than I can remember the number. So, uh, you know, we have so much legislation to read through and to stay abreast of. So, you know, it's... uh, it's, it's the dedication, and I've enjoyed it very much. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Jeffries. The announcement of a new manufacturing facility to produce Rivian electric vehicles has exposed the tension between economic development and residents' desire to protect their community's sense of place. How will you balance the interests of the, consist- of the constituents currently living in the 25th Senatorial District in the business interests that would like to move to and or expand their enterprise within the 25th? Oh, that's a good question because I've heard good and bad about Rivian coming. Um, you know, I grew up in Henry County, and when I graduated from Henry County in 1982, there was probably... 30,000 people in Henry County, and now there's probably 230,000 or more. You know, it all boils down to local politics. I mean, if you got to, you know, it goes to your commissioners, your city council, do they want growth? Do they want, do they not want growth? That's just, that's a tough question, you know, and it all starts locally. And so, you know, like I said, I, I was a commissioner before I was in the Senate. And it's all about what your constituents want. Do you want to grow or do you not want to grow? And so those are the people you elect, just like your school board. Everybody complains about school, but nobody pays attention to who's running for school board. It it all starts locally. You know, so locally to state, state to federal, I think people should be more involved. And they'll make those decisions. And to try to um, uh, benefit from your experience, um, especially when you were in Atlanta, 
Um, and you're hearing from both uh, the elected representation and um, the constituents. Uh, how do you try to um, uh, build a consensus uh, when you see those disparities coming up between um, what elected officials w- want and then um, what their constituents want? You know, every community is different. Like I said, I grew up in Henry County, and um, it was a bedroom community. You know, most most people worked in Atlanta. And I think you don't pay attention to local government. And local government's where it begins. I mean, it's still funny to me, and my wife will tell you this. I still get calls from people thinking I'm still a county commissioner. I hadn't been a county commissioner in 15 years. But they, they just know your name. They know you do something, whether you're a senator, you're a commissioner, I was city manager for Locust Grove for a while. It just amazes me, and it always has, how people really just don't keep up with it. And that's that's not our fault. That's their fault for not paying attention. America is as polarized as it's ever been, and faith in our institutions is notably low. How will you work to help restore faith in this representative democracy? It's just about going out and seeing people. Just like last week, I was in Jones County, and somebody said, well, you need to go Dairy Queen on Wednesday because that's where everybody meets. And so I went out there, and I spent over three hours just talking to people. And, you know, just somehow you got to reach people and make them pay attention at least a little bit. I mean, at least know who to call, what to do. I mean, it's always amazed me how uninformed the public is. I mean, that goes back from day one when I got in this, you know, just people don't keep up with it. And I wish they would. And I I tell people all the time, you can vote for governor, you can vote for senator, you can vote for president. But when you vote for your school board, that's the most, that's the most important vote you're ever going to make is who you elect to be on your school board. Point blank. Because that's where it all starts. It's taking these kids and trying to teach them something, get them ready to face the world. You know, and I hate to say it, but most of them can't even balance a checkbook, which I know most people don't have checkbooks anymore. But it's it's just a it's I just think we're going about it all wrong. Yes, sir. The fundamentals stay the fundamentals. That's right. And now we'll pose the same question to Daniela Sullivan Marzal. America is as polarized as it has ever been, and faith in our institutions is notably low. How will you work to help restore faith in this representative democracy? Well, I think it's going to take action. You know, if we continue to, to stalemate when it comes to certain decisions that our communities care about and our country cares about, we're not going to go forward. I, I really believe that when there's criminal activity, it needs to be um, dealt with. I, I don't think we can hide from the issues anymore. And if people are being threatened um, politically to possibly die if they speak out, that needs to be dealt with as well. We need to protect people. My husband was part of Homeland Security. He just retired, and he was protecting our country for over 20 years. And we need to care about those that are caring about our country, and we also need to support them. And I need to put in a plug. My, my poor husband, um, he retired, and he hasn't been paid for four months. The government doesn't care. And so my question to, to people is, if we don't care in government, then people can't trust us. 
we have to put the caring back in. Representatives have to care and respond to people and have action. So it's going to take a while to develop that because people have to see that when people say, I follow God, that I really do follow God. So if I am elected, that I do pass legislation that makes a difference and that I do support my communities, that I'm just not another person in office so that I can put it, you know, on a bumper sticker. But it's that I'm really doing something to make a difference. And so it's going to take time. So I, I would like to to show the community that I will make a difference. And now we'll pose the same question to Leland Jake Olinger. America is as polarized as it may ever have been, and faith in our institutions is notably low. Exactly. How will you work to help restore faith in this representative democracy? The simple fact that I am not a career politician I'm not a you know small business owner in town you know that would all you know has that interest in it. My only interest is the people, you know, because I know once the you know the people prosper, your town's going to prosper, and everybody you know will be happy in the end. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Williams. America is as polarized as it has ever been, and faith in our institutions is notably low. How will you work to help restore faith in this representative democracy? Well, one thing I have always enjoyed is being in our district that I have friends that we discuss issues and we talk about problems, and it doesn't matter if you have an R in front of your name or a D in front of your name. A lot of the issues that we face are nonpartisan, or they're bipartisan. It affects all of us, not just one segment. But I understand and I realize that there are factions that continue to try to drive us apart And I think a lot of us now realize that we've got to come together. And it's not Republican or Democrat as much as it is the right thing to do. Does it make sense? Can we afford it? Do we need it? And so this is issues that we will continue to work on. You know, health care is a big thing, and it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, we all need and rely on great health care, and we need better health care, and we will continue working together to increase the level of care that is provided to our citizens here in Georgia. On this edition of Milledgeville Matters, you're listening to interviews with candidates seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. I want to remind you that advanced voting for the 2022 general primary election began on Monday, May 2nd and continues through Friday, May 20th at the Baldwin County Government Building, which is located at 1601 North Columbia Street. Saturday voting will occur on May 14th. 
For more information about advanced in election day voting, you can contact the Baldwin County Board of Registrars at 478-445-4526. You can check your voter registration in see a sample ballot at the Georgia Secretary of State's My Voter page, which is located at www.mvp.sos.ga.gov. We'll be back in a moment with more of our conversation about the Republican primary for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. with the candidate seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. Who isn't an American, living or dead, famous or not, who inspires you and why? One of the first that I would think about would be John F. Kennedy. And his quote uh, was not look at the Democratic thing to do or the Republican thing to do, but the right thing to do. And, you know, he he was looking at things a different way and for the good of the country. And then I think of Ronald Reagan and his ideals. And, you know, there's been so many great presidents but then I look at our local people. We've had so many local people that I hesitate to name them, but that really worked hard for our area, for our state, and gave of themselves. And, you know, the only thing that I desire in my heart is to make a difference and to make things better for people and for our constituency. And it's not about me, it's about us. Us meaning all of us here in the great state of Georgia. You know, continuing to make Georgia uh, be the best place to do business and to continue to have a strong economy and to continue to have a better way of life here for our citizens of the great state of Georgia. So, you know, there are so many people that I can think of. And, you know, my grandparents were sharecroppers on both sides, my father's side and my mother's side. And I look at where we've come from from those days and, you know, how they worked and what sacrifices they made. And I think of our parents, not just mine, but all generations' parents and the greater, greatest generation of all that's during World War II. And uh, there's so much that we have to be thankful for. A lot of times we think of the problems 
that we are facing, and sometimes it's a personal problem, and uh, we don't think of the blessings that we have, and uh, we continue to thank God for these blessings and continue to work hard to make Georgia and America a better place to live. And now we'll pose the same question to Leland Jake Olinger. Who is an American, living or dead, famous or not, who inspires you and why? You know, it's always that trick question because there's always going to be someone that doesn't like the person or doesn't understand the reason. But, yeah, and the thing is, I am afraid to say it, I idolized Donald Trump. What he did, he was one of the reasons that I stepped up to do this because I've had everybody tell me, oh, no, you're wrong. But yet everything that I've said is real life stuff that happens every day. And, uh, you know, he, he stepped up and, you know, he was already in the public light. He could, uh, you know, but look what happened to him when he went into politics. They didn't like it, you know. But he did it for the people, and look how many people it has woke up on, you know, not, not just one party, but, you know, just people in general. Uh, but it, it, it would, I would have to say him, because he stepped way out of his comfort zone. What he, you know, the business that he does to get into politics. And I understand, the reason I understand why he did it is, our politics politicians are lawyers and business owners trying to create a budget and pay for a budget by just taxing and regulating us. Not yeah, when you give the people manufacturing, give the people something, yeah, you're gonna get your taxes on, but you're gonna get make them happy because they're gonna get something they want. Like with legalization. Everybody wants it. You know, know, it's just like cigarettes and alcohol. If you don't do it, you don't go buy it. Who cares? Other people want to do it, they can. I don't drink. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I, you know, prefer the greener things in life. And that's what people, you know, that's what I want people to, you know, understand and have is, you know, live their life the way they want not worry about what other people say. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Jeffries. Who is an American, living or dead, famous or not, who inspires you and why? Mm. I guess Ronald Reagan. That was the first vote I ever made. (laughs) I'm going to go with that. Right. And um, in addition to just uh, being the first vote uh, that you, you put in the ballot box, uh, are there a reason why he still sticks with you uh, so many years after his passing and especially after his time in office? Because he tried to make America one. I mean, it was all about America first. You know, it was it was pretty much his whole platform was to try to unite America. And that's what stuck with me the most. And now we'll pose the same question to Daniela Sullivan Marzal. Who is an American, living or dead, famous or not, who inspires you and why? Huh. 
That's a good question, because I always think of Jesus. Um, and so Jesus would be Jewish, um, uh, mixed with American blood, Jewish-American. Uh, <laughs> but but I guess, you know, I, I would think of, um, you know, Truman probably, you know, because when— um, What's uh, President Harry S. Truman? Yes, because I think that when you have to make a decision— that is going to affect a nation, it's a hard decision to make. But if you make the right decision, it can change history. And so I respect those in our history that have made decisions that have made our country better and have helped others to be um, blessed and set free from from oppression even. And so, um, you know, we have a situation now with the Ukraine. I heard a rabbi say, why didn't anybody do anything during the Holocaust? You know, a lot of people said, well, they should have done something. And he said, well, you can do something now. So where are the, the, the leaders? Where are the Trumans? Where are the Patents? Where are those that are standing up and saying it's not okay? You know, because until it comes to your front door, um, do you care? You know, and I think we need to care about what's happening around the world because it doesn't stop in one country. Now, with the way technology is, it can be in your front door in a matter of seconds. And so I, I appreciate people that have taken a stand in history, and those are the ones I admire. Might I dig a little bit deeper and ask you, um, you mentioned uh, some of the decisions that were uh, before Truman um, that uh, led him to answer the last question the way you did. Can you talk about or identify and talk about what those decisions were? Well, I guess one of the things that, that always uh, hits home with me is what's happened with Israel. And, you know, Israel became a nation because um, our leaders took a, took a role in making it change. If that wouldn't have happened, Israel would have never became a nation, and we supported them in doing that. Um, there were a lot of people during World War II that talked about the things that were going on, but there weren't that many that acted when it counted. And I think that's why, um, to me, Truman just stands out. And um, those are all the questions I have for you, uh, but I want to reserve these last moments of our conversation to allow you to speak directly to our radio audience. Uh, and the prompt for that one uh, question is just, why should our radio audience vote for you? Well, um, I will bring integrity to the office and trust, um, and I do care. As, as a mom and as a licensed professional counselor, the joke is I am in Milledgeville. Um, I can diagnose crazy and I can hospitalize it, so... I would hope that I would be able to bring um, stability back to the legislation um, as I am, you know, supporting um, truth and integrity and, and, and being able to, to talk with people on a different level um, if they are a little out of control because things have gotten out of control in politics. <laughs> and so we need a calming agent. So a lot of times as a chaplain and as a counselor, um, I, I, I am a calming agent. So I would vote for me because of integrity and because of uh, the ability to deal um, with things when they are out of control and they're out of control right now. So that would be my answer for right now. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Jeffries. 
And so those are all the questions that I have for you. Um, and I've reserved this last uh, portion of time for you to speak directly to our radio audience. Um, and just the prompt for that is, uh, why should our radio audience vote for you? Because I think I'm looking after their kids. I want to change education. You know, when I was in the Senate before, I wasn't on any education committees. And and my buddy, Burt Jones, I think is going to win lieutenant governor. He asked me one day, he said, what you going to do when you get elected? I said, I want to be on education this go round because that's where we're, we're, that's where we're dying the most as Georgians. Um, my daughter was one of the Corona kids. You know, her senior year, they got out of school in March. And I'll never forget, I was teaching um, um Political science, I always teach at Locust Grove High School for a week. You know, basically just what happens when you go to the Senate, how does a bill get passed. And we, I, I taught that class, and that was her last class, and we was all walking out the door, and she goes, Dad, you think we're coming back? No, nah, school's over. And so all those kids, all her senior friends, hung out at our lake house that summer. And, um, you know, I'm down there cutting grass and weed eating and edging. They're all out there having a good time. I finally went, you know what, enough's enough. They're going to come down here and hang out. I don't have a problem with that. But they need to help me out. And I had to teach them how to run a lawnmower. I had to teach them how to run a weed eater, how to crank the edger. And I actually was, we were, we were staying in my dock, and they said, they were laughing. I said, anybody know how to run a, a pressure washer? One, one kid goes, I do. They were all laughing. I had him working. So I went and got five gallons of stain and about 12 brushes and said, okay, now we're going to stain the dock. Those kids had more stain on them than they did the dock. And I went, really, this is what our education system is teaching kids? I mean, I grew up on a farm. I mean, I knew how to change tires. I knew how to drive a three-speed when I was 12 years old. These kids are just lost. And you, I look back and go, our education system's not right. None of those, none of those kids that hung out that summer. It was about twenty of them went to college. None of them. And one day, two of them was sitting down there and they said, "Mr. Rick, said, what would you do if you if you was in our position? They don't know what to do." I said, "Well, if I had it do over again, I'd have joined the military. I didn't, but that's what I would have done if I had it do over again." And those two kids both joined the Air Force that summer, and so I was kind of proud of them. I mean, they 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 took my advice. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. And so, to me, it's, it's all about education in my book. That's, I'm going to put my feet on it. That's all I'm going to do if I get elected. It's all about education. And now we'll pose the same question to Leland Jake Olinger. Right. And so those are the questions I have for you. And I want to thank you um, for taking the time to uh, talk to both me and our radio audience. I've reserved the last part of our interview uh, just to allow you to talk directly to that radio audience and answer the question, uh, why should they vote for you? I'm not a career politician. I've raised my kids. I've got one left in the house, and yeah, she's in a lot of the pictures with me. She goes to a lot of the functions with me. Um, like I said, I'm not a career politician. I'm not a small business owner that just wants your money. Uh, I'm one of them. I'm a person. You know, I have you know, the same feelings that they do about what goes on in our society. Uh, and, and I'm doing this, you know, to be an inspiration. You know, win or lose, I went out and did this, and I want hope that I inspire others to go out and do the same because. Doing this is the only way we're going to get the change that we want at the Capitol. 
we, you know, you want to stop the career politicians, want to stop everything that you hate that's going on up there, get people like us elected into that office. And let me be your voice for the 25th district and the state of Georgia to get the right things happening for the people. And now we'll pose the same question to Rick Williams. And so those are the questions I have. I, of course, just want to reserve uh, this last uh, few moments uh, for you uh, to speak directly to our radio audience and and answer the question, uh, why should our radio audience vote for you? Thank you, Daniel. What I have done for six years, for my six sessions, I have um, taken what takes most of my salary to rent an apartment to stay in Atlanta during the week while we're in session. So I actually rent an apartment for three months, and it takes three-fourths of my salary that I make from being a representative. Um, I do that so that I can attend committee meetings, so that I can be there at the Capitol uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning, and sometimes I wouldn't leave till 6 or 7 at night reading bills, uh, committee meetings, and the dedication that I have and uh, the desire, not for me, uh, but the desire I have to work hard for the people of Georgia and for my district, I just humbly ask for everyone's thoughts, prayers, and support uh, as we continue going on into the selection coming up on May the 24th, uh, 2022. So, again, I humbly ask for your support, your prayers, and uh, everyone has my cell number. Everyone knows how to reach me, and I'll continue to work hard for you uh, seven days a week. Uh, I'm available, and I work hard, and I'll be there for you. Thank you very much for the your consideration. And thank you very much for allowing me this time to talk with you. You've been listening to interviews with candidates seeking the Republican nomination for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate. The candidates seeking the Republican nomination include Daniela Sullivan Marzal, Leland Jake Ollinger, Rick Jeffries, and Rick Williams. In the coming days, you can hear this program in unedited conversations with all the candidates on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRGC. And I'll take this moment to remind you that advanced voting for the 2022 general election primary continues through Friday, May 20th at the Baldwin County Government Building, which is located at 1601 North Columbia Street. Saturday voting will take place again on Saturday, May 14th. For more information about advanced in Election Day voting, you can contact the Baldwin County Board of Registrars at 478-445-4526. You can check your voter registration NC sample balance at the Georgia Secretary of State's My Voter page. That address is www.mvp.sos.ga.gov. Up next on the program, we'll hear the same group of questions posed to Valerie Rogers. Valerie Rogers is the sole Democrat running for the 25th district seat in the Georgia State Senate.